This is the Cubs Related Podcast. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Tuesday, February 8th. And Brendan, guess what? Uh, it never ends, Corey. Is there ever going to be an ending to this? Like, honestly, every week that passes by, it's just reports get worse. Now we're going to go into spring training. Now we may even jeopardize the beginning of the season. I feel like this is just getting progressively worse as we keep recording. It this. does seem that way. And what it. is particularly... I guess like unnerving is that I think as we've gone through this process and we've updated on what's going on and things like that, you kind of hoped that a week out from when pitchers and catchers would be reporting, we would be making progress, even if it was slow, right? And like with what happened in the last (laughs) week, it feels worse, doesn't it? I mean, getting a mediator involved, the Players Association saying, nope, we're not doing that. We're seeing like reports reminiscing about 1994 and the mediator stuff. Like, like this seems worst case scenario at this point, right? We're what is this? We should be eight days away from pitchers and catchers reporting, and we're talking about federal mediators to get this back on the table, even like even to get the conversation going, Corey. Right. So the owners are meeting, uh, I believe, as we speak. Uh, near Disney World, I think. And the MLBPA and the the players' representatives are also meeting separately in Arizona. So the sides are talking amongst themselves, which, you know, again, like this is the type of thing where like maybe just one day the, the dam breaks and things, somebody blinks and the sides make progress, whatever. But yeah, the mediator stuff doesn't seem good. It was a pretty obvious tactic from the ownership and and league side to kind of put that public pressure on the players and say, look, we're we're willing to bring somebody in to kind of bridge the gap. And the players said no. I mean, obviously they said no. They should have said no. Um, because they, you know, they just have things they want to get done and, and progress that they want to be made that when you bring in a mediator kind of look at things where are where things are now you're not really going to do that um so that wasn't a surprise that they turned it down but yeah like they're we don't even know when they're going to meet again they're meeting with each other uh you know separately just doesn't seem like we're any closer to a resolution here and by no. this point you kind of just hoped like even if it was chipping away right like they meet every so often and okay we got this issue figured out we'll meet again next week okay we got arbitration figured out we'll meet again next week you kind of hope that that's where we would be at and like we're still at the point where like we don't even know when they're going to talk again it just doesn't feel good no it feels terrible and when you go on twitter you see even the players are expressing like dramatic pessimism and if they're expressing pessimism to to me, that makes things way worse, right? And my pessimism naturally is going to get way more amplified. Like, for example, Marcus Stroman, you know, he's active on Twitter anyway, but he did say, quote, Man Clown and his boys need to figure it out and stop ruining the game of baseball, end quote. So, I mean, I don't know how much more negative you can possibly be about your perspective on these negotiations, but when you hear one of the game's premier pitchers 
say that basically as if he were a fan of the sport, and you do hear similar echoes from other notable players, why should we be positive? And how is and this goes back to the point we've been that we've been talking about for the past few months now. Of all the PR that the sport needs, we're using this time to trash the sport yet again. Yeah. And like justifiably so, the players are going to be upset and they have every right to do this. It's just like, it's sad, man, because we've been doing this now for so many years and I feel as if we cannot catch a break. And yet again, we're talking about why the sport is in bad shape this offseason. Right, and we've we've kind of talked about, you never really know how much this stuff affects people, fans like you and I, and I would imagine a lot of you listening Whenever baseball comes back, you'll be there. Maybe you'll be annoyed. You'll miss it if they miss games. You'll be frustrated, angry, etc. But you'll you'll be there watching the Cubs, right? Listening to Pat Hughes, sitting at Wrigley Field, whatever. It's hard to know like whether this affects casual fans, but it it does. It do, you you get these kind of like stark reminders of what you're talking about, where this is what's going on with the sport right. at the moment. Like we're in Super Bowl week. You've got college basketball heating up heading towards March and March Madness at some point you've got the NBA trade deadline going on now and even even though I'm not a big basketball fan like I'm on social media and stuff I know the Bulls are involved and stuff like that you've just got so much going on in these other sports that is good right and exciting and engaging and and bringing people in and like how tired are casual fans of hearing about like federal mediators like that's gotta be a turnoff for a a lot of people (laughs) they don't care right if you're like like i consider myself kind of like a casual fan of of mostly every other sport right so I'm reminded when like the basketball was going on in the lockout or like the NHL or like the NFL and the referee stuff. Like you kind of dip in, you dip out, you see what the updated news is, but you're not engaging in any of that content because it's boring. Like I want to see what moves are being made. Like I want to see highlights, like stuff like that. I don't care about negotiation processes. Even you and I talking about this right now, it's like pulling teeth out of my mouth. I do not want to be talking about this. I don't understand the depths of these talks the the implications from a from like a contractual point of view i don't like i don't really care that much and yet again we keep having to do this yeah it's it's not good and you do kind of get the feeling like i you know i'm i'm way more entertaining like the possibility of of missing games at this point so it actually was reported. I would say it's a likelihood at this point. Like, that's that's like my that opinion. Way. I'm not right. saying that's happening. Yeah, yeah they're not talking. So <laughs> we, there, there's a report from Fox Sports MLB hot off the presses 15 minutes ago. We, we don't, it's been a while okay. since we've had, it's not really breaking news, but like that Rob Manfred is going to address the media on Thursday. So as I said, oh, like lovely. the owners are meeting separately, <laughs> the players and the players association meeting separately in two different states. I would be surprised if, like, there's no way this is an announcement that they've reached some sort of agreement. I, I wouldn't think, unless they've been very. So what secretive. is he going to? Like, what is he going to say? What is something he's stupid? Say? Like he always does. Well, I'm, I mean, like based on the last memo he put out where he trashed players, I'm assuming it's going to be in right. The same he vein, might call the right? trophy a piece of metal again. I mean, I'm who knows? Idiot. Yeah, he's dude. This guy, man. Like, I don't. What did, like, what did listen, you say? Strowman called him a, a man clown. A man yeah, clown. That sounds about right. I mean, right. pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, like, of course, it's pretty obvious what his intentions are at this point, but like, 
regardless, if this is not his intentions, he still sucks. He's not executing. Like, I mean, the yeah. sport is clearly, clearly not there, a good There place was right a, some reports, I think, from some of the writers and just the people connected to the players and the Players Association that uh, I think expressed, like, you, you really can't imagine how much they dislike him. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Like how, how much that. the players and, and their representatives dislike Rob Manfred, which is, you know, great. Um, I do want to read this hey. this uh, this set of tweets um, related to the mediation from Max Serzer, who's been, I think, one of the more vocal uh, players. And I, I think it just at least offers some insight into what they're thinking and also reflects the fact that the players, as we've talked about, are, are using social media, using their platforms to at least kind of explain where they're coming from. And he said, we don't need mediation because what we are offering to Major League Baseball is fair for both sides. We want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allow younger players to realize more of their market value, make service time manipulation a thing of the past, and eliminate tanking as a winning strategy. So that just sort of encapsulates like a little bit of their position, a brief summary, and kind of goes to what I was saying, which, you know, if you, if you, defer to a federal mediator, you're not really getting to the core of those issues. You're having somebody kind of just look at the broad scape of things, look at the arguments and kind of split things how they see fit, which isn't what the players yeah. want. And and my concern, especially like along those lines, Brendan, is that it feels like most of the players, at least, are united in getting those things done, which means like when you talk about is either side going to blink, you get the sense that the players are not, right? Right. And if that means missing time, they're willing to do it. It's confusing to me though, because from the owner's perspective, trying to understand the owner's perspective, why would you want to delay this season again? Like you lost, this is going to be the third straight season where potentially you're risking significant gate revenue and advertising revenue, I'm assuming, and and TV revenue. You're going to risk that ag- again? Like, how is that smart financially from, from a business perspective? I don't know what the implications are specifically for the Cubs, but I am reminded even during, you know, the, the trade deadline years ago, when we got correct Kimbrell, where the Ben Zobras saga was going on, and we didn't have the, the the payroll room unless Ben Zobras was not playing, I am thinking in my head, okay, if the season starts in late April or early May, is this going to affect the Cubs' financial situation and getting free agents for this season? Like, is that going to be another layer on top of our discussions? That 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 concerns me. It's it's. It's just like again, man. We keep talking about the same type of stuff. Like I'm, like I, I wish we could be talking about baseball. I wish we could, we could be talking about like player performance and projecting, you know, the roster at this point. But everything is so in flux, and now we're quite literally wondering what the financial implications, specifically for the Cubs, would be if we're going to be missing baseball games again. This is It's like unfair to us, man. I, it's a fair question. And, you know, maybe this is uh, something we can touch on, like, because it's hypothetical at this point. But, you know, it, it is a question to ask, like, what does it mean if it is a shortened season, right? If yeah. it's 100 games and Jed Hoyer knows that before free agency starts again, does that make him more aggressive, less aggressive, 
I, does, I mean, what do you think? I, 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 to be honest with you, I had, I hadn't really thought about it until I just said that. Um, <laughs> I mean, like the, when you post a question for me, I, I think it makes him less aggressive, right? And this is like an instant opinion. But the reason I think that is because your your margin for error becomes significantly less. And so, as an example, if you look at Schwindel or you look at Patrick Wisdom, if they start out struggling during the start of the season. You compare that to you know previous guys on this team in the years past, like Rizzo or Zobris, as I just used as an example. You expect that those slumps, those slow starts, will get turned around. However, for Schwindel and Wisdom, you don't have that type of confidence because you don't have that sample size before. So, from Jed's perspective, you do have to factor that in, right? Whereas if you have a hundred and sixty-two game season you have a little bit more wiggle room and you have a little bit more room for these guys to adjust and you have more room to wait for these guys to adjust and react accordingly and factor that into like your off-season plans in the current moment as well. That's the way I'm thinking about it. I I mean, I think you could look at it either way, right? Because I think devil's advocate to that is, okay, the season's shorter. We're already planning on short-term deals and just seeing what happens because we're not committing to the long term you know maybe there's a big deal someone like Correa but the rest of it you know you're looking short term so you just say screw it right like we'll see what we can do in a year we'll throw some one or two year deals around and if it's a shortened season maybe we can back our way into a division title right because it's you, you know you're not playing 162 games in this hypothetical scenario. I want to remind everyone as we're talking about this, this is still hypothetical. It's February 8th. And I hate hate hypotheticals. Yeah, there there is time, but it it, it is an interesting sort of uh, thing to look at. Like, how would this affect things? You could look at it either way, right? Jed could look at things and go, okay, this is another like BS shortened season that, you know, people are going to put an asterisk on at the end. So who cares, right? Let's just see if Clint Frazier can catch fire and and we're just going to go with this. I think you could look at it as I said the other way and be like, okay, we can we can put together a team that can be good over 100 games with mm-hmm. you know a handful of one-year deals. We've got the money, we've got the space. Let's see what we can do, right? And I think too from the players' perspective, you look at Castellanos and Schwarber and all of these guys like Trevor Story, I do wonder would they be willing to sign a longer-term contract in a shorter negotiation window. And at the same time, would they get similar offers had there been our normal offseason? Maybe because, like you're talking about, let's say we have like 120-ish games. I hope that doesn't happen. But using these hypotheticals, if that's the case, do some teams become a little squeamish because the margin for error is much smaller? And as a result, those free agents that I just mentioned would not be getting offers. And as a result of that, does that diminish and weaken their market value at the current time? If it does, I, I feel as if the Cubs would come in and, and swoop in and get those guys up. And maybe those players are more likely to sign shorter deals because they want to make more money in the long run. But then again, as I just said, what are the financial implications of another shortened season? Uh, would the budget for the Cubs be slightly held back as a result? I don't know. But I think I mean, I think in general, my inclination is if there is fewer games, I think those free agents are more likely to take shorter deals. 
And given where the Cubs are from a payroll perspective, they have so much money to spend. I mean, they they it, it depends where your threshold is, but like realistically, they may have like seventy to eighty million dollars to mm-hmm. spend if they even before getting to the luxury tax threshold. And if that's the case, you can you can fill in the pieces to this puzzle quite easily, and maybe that does benefit the Cubs in a weird roundabout way, Corey. Yeah, I there. There's also, and again, we, I don't know how this stuff affects their bottom line. Maybe they don't care. We've been through all this stuff with like the the Ricketts financials and all of that. But it is something that at least comes to mind in thinking about this. Like, if you've got a shortened season and you don't make an effort to make the team a little more interesting and exciting, you're looking at another year of not great ticket sales and and revenues from that perspective, right? Because people are going to go into a shortened season already kind of annoyed. You're coming off a second half last year where, as we've discussed, there was 20,000 fans in the ballpark for some of those games, right? Like what's the enthusiasm going to be going into that season if you're not putting a more... What I'm saying is there may be at least a little bit of an impetus to get fans excited again. I see. So you're saying like there may be a risk... If it affects their bottom line, which I don't really know that it does, or to the point that they care. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the hypothetical is 120 games. I just want to stick with that. I don't know if that's real or not or whatever. But if there are 120 games and you're Jed, you know, you're you're Craig Kenny, you know, our favorite guy, you're, you're the ownership group, you're looking at trying to expand your product. And there was recent news within the last week I don't know the fine details, but apparently like the Sinclair group, they want to make a streaming service for the Cubs, like $18 a month to get beyond some of the blackout stuff. I think that's what it is. Like clearly you're trying to to reach your team to more viewers. And if if there's a risk again of not winning games, and we see that because last season, gauge revenue dropped a lot towards August and September, maybe, maybe there is more of like, a nudge to Jed saying, hey, we want to be competitive. Please push for these one-year contracts because we're trying to boost our business, our bottom line. And even if that's the case of like improving your win probability by a little bit, if it brings in players that are recognizable, like maybe that maybe maybe this could be to the Cubs' advantage as well. I I, I don't know. It's like so is so many factors involved in this, and it still feels so early on in this negotiation process. I like I could see it being really good. I could see it being really bad, Corey. Yes, right, which is, you know, the type of hard-hitting Lovely. analysis you come to us for. Um, but this is no, their situation. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm saying the same thing. It's just funny that the conclusion is, well, could be good, could be bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, there yeah. there would be different pathways to to take for the Cubs. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, just to finish off the thought there, not to like say hey, it could be good, it could be bad. I think the likelihood is, given all the circumstances that we know, principally the Cubs' payroll flexibility, that combined with, I think, a higher likelihood that players take shorter deals should benefit yes. the Cubs. I think the that's opportunity the more likely would be outcome. there for sure. Yes. Yes. I absolutely. think so. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's where that is. It's not good news, folks. I wish I had a better sort of prognosis of all of that. Again, we'll see what uh, man clown, as Marcus Stroman has dubbed him, has to say on Thursday. 
and we'll go from there. But yeah, I mean, we should be right now, we should be preparing you for spring training to start like a week from today. Like our next episode should be about pitchers and catchers reporting, what kind of, who's the first person that looks like they're in the best shape of their life, you know, all of that stuff. And that is not, not what we are going to get. Um, though I think we did get kind of uh, that already from the prospect camp, because I think um, some of the photos going around, Caleb Killian, I think would be winning that. Yeah. He looks like he just added like 20 He's pounds jacked, to his yeah. muscle. He is, man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Um, <laughs> getting into, I mean, so yeah. we're in the middle of a lockout, right? I know everybody has sort of gone through a different process in terms of dealing with their emotions about the 2021 trade deadline and all of that, seeing Javi Baez sign with Detroit, et cetera, et cetera. So especially in a world where we're still talking about mediation and negotiation and things like that, what on earth, Brendan, could the people want to hear us talk about more than a rumor about Anthony Vincent Rizzo, Mm. right? That's Mm. what the people are clamoring for. I guess, yeah. I mean, like, I, I love talking about Rizzo. I don't want to get my hopes up, though, so I'm, like, kind of cautious about this, to be honest All with right, you. so let me set the table. I was being very sarcastic. Okay. I'm assuming that people have— tr- Well, you can't—listen, you can't listen, Corey, you can't add sarcasm to Rizzo rumors for me right now, because I, 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 buy, I buy into it. It's just not good for my for Well, my that's sanity. what I mean. I just feel like a lot of people have kind of done their best to accept things that had happened and, and kind of, like, moved on with their life and now I have been moving on pretty you're pretty kind well, of being actually. pulled back in a little bit so yeah. here's the deal let me set the table again we're in a lockout so what the sort of substance of any of these rumors or discussions things like that what the weight that they have is questionable right there's really no way for us to know but Bruce Levine reported that there had been internal conversations about a potential reunion with Anthony. That's kind of the meat of it, right? And that that it was possible, like once the lockout ended, like immediately they might try to bring him back. This is all just sort of reports from Bruce Levine. There's other outlets in Chicago. I won't name them because I don't like the the person who said this and I won't uh, give them the airtime here, but just worth noting to you all that there's another person in Chicago media saying the exact opposite. Like, nope, they're done with the core, not happening. Pick who you want to believe. Doesn't really matter. They can't do anything anyway right now. So it doesn't matter. But it is an interesting discussion point because, of course, nothing else is going on. What I'll just throw it to you kind of baseline. Like, if you didn't know the terms and you didn't really know anything else about it, just generally, right, how do you feel about it? I feel good about it. I mean, again, like the assumption is for a reunion— the timeline makes sense from Jed's perspective. And if that's the case, that means to me, we have one eye on the immediate and then one eye towards the future. And that deal kind of looks like a two, three-year deal, perhaps. Bringing a bat like Rizzo back in the lineup, I know he's had some decline in the past couple years. I know he's had some nagging back injuries. But what he hasn't declined in is that contact rate, the ability to see pitches, and still the ability to drive the ball gap to gap and still show pretty good power for someone having that type of contact portfolio. So in principle, 
regardless of his history, regardless of all the emotion tied into Rizzo, from a baseball perspective, again, if they want to sign him, it's under the assumption of that type of structure we talked about. I think it's a really good idea. The only concern for me is the positional flexibility of guys on the roster, including Frank Schwindel and Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner. By adding another first baseman to the mix, I do wonder, okay, like what does that mean flexibility-wise if we want to play Frank Schwindel a lot, but we have to do so in the DH? That's the one thing that kind of holds me up, but that also seems like a thing that is that that really isn't that big of a deal when you do bring a bat like Rizzo's back in here. Yeah, so my initial reaction is that I'm into it. Look, I love Anthony Rizzo, right? So I'm into the reunion. I mean, that's an emotional side right, right there. And right? I, th- I think fair. especially for um, him and, and Javi too, like KB came back. We already kind of did the farewell thing. I frankly, I would be much more interested in a reunion with Chris, but that's a separate issue, much more expensive, different kind of deal, same as Javi's was. This is likely going to be a a short-term, low average value, like exactly what they're looking for, right? So it's a different discussion. But what I'm saying is that we didn't really get the, the proper farewell for Anthony and Javi. KB came back, we at least kind of got to do that, show the video, that whole thing. But, you know, remember, KB and Anthony didn't play the day before, you know, before they got traded. So there was some murmurs and standing ovations and stuff like that leading up to it in in that series going into the trade deadline. But we didn't really get like the proper farewell, right? We were just sort of bombarded emotionally with those photos of Anthony and Emily and Kevin walking around Wrigley Field and taking photos, right? So it would be nice to be able to do that over and have a more proper like welcome back and and just do that over because I didn't like that but from a baseball perspective again the contract you're talking about is likely going to be exactly the type of stuff that Jed has talked about Anthony improves your defense at first base Frank isn't great there gives you some flexibility right to manage Frank a little better like not necessarily just ask him to repeat his second half on an everyday basis for 150 something games a little more flexibility in in managing matchups things like that etc and gives you power from the left side you look at the Cubs 40 man roster as it stands right now again probably some changes at least no matter what even if they're big or small to this roster once free agency actually starts again but as you look at it now like you have Sergio Alcantara as a switch hitter you have Alfonso Rivas who hits from the left side you have Greg Dykeman who hits from the left side Jason Hayward hits from the left side and Ian Happ is a switch hitter that's it so you know left pop from the left hand side is not something you have a ton of, right? So it would be nice to get some of that back, right? As you said, Brendan, it does, we've talked about the DH, I think, on a couple different episodes. So we've kind of laid the groundwork for what that might look like and how the Cubs would use it, exploit it, etc. This would, as you said, kind of diminish that, right? Like, unless you're just removing one of these guys from regular playing time, you know, you, 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 take that flexibility down a lot, right? 
If you want Frank and Anthony in the lineup every day, if you want to get Wilson rest, that's pretty much how you're using it at that point. You're not really going to have too much flexibility elsewhere. So that's something to consider. But if the deal is one, two, three years, something like that, and it's 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 not taking up too large of a chunk of your budget, I'm into the idea. Now, the, the thing for me with this is I wouldn't make it a priority. And that's how I would look at this. Like they have bigger holes. They have bigger issues that they have to deal with if they want the team to be competitive in the immediate and in the long term, right? So if this if this hypothetical deal is eating up, I, I, you know, I'm making it up, but like a third of the remaining budget, a quarter of the remaining budget, I'd say no, right? I just think there's better ways to spend the money. But if they're going to use a good chunk of the remaining space that they have from where they are to the luxury tax, like, uh, yeah, it's it's probably not going to be that consequential and you'll still have money to kind of round out the rest of the team. So that that's how I would look at this. Like, I, I wouldn't make it the kind of signature move of the remaining portion of the offseason. I don't, I don't think that's moving the 2022 team as much as potential other moves might. But if it's not doing that, I, I, I think it's certainly worth exploring. Yeah, so to give a specific number to that luxury tax threshold, and they still have to negotiate a new CBA, right? So this is all subject to change. But according to MLB Cots contracts, the Cubs with arbitration factored in, all the player benefits that you have to factor into the luxury tax, they have more or less committed about $125 million for next season. And assuming that the tax threshold is kind of within range of past seasons, $210 million, then you have about 80 to $85 million in wiggle room for next season. And so to your point, for, for a, like a priority perspective on Rizzo, if he's going to take up like you know, 30 to 40% of your expected remaining payroll, then maybe that's not the best idea. Although you should still consider it given what the market is. You still have to consider that. Now, will he take 20 million of that 80 million in uh, space? Yeah, I think that's more more than logical logical to consider. The, the realistic scenario with Rizzo, and you do have to consider this and take away the emotional aspect, is when we look at what we have at first base right now. And right now, we have Schwindel, we have Rivas, we do have Wisdom at first base if we want to play him there. Those are three guys, and we, we do have Ian Hather at first base if you want to be more flexible with getting more outfielders in the form of free agency. So there are options at first base. And with Rivas, he's a good defender, man, like a really good defender. Of course, we're not going to have the numbers to back that up given the small sample size nature. But when you watch him play, when you listen to scouts talk about him, they talk as if he's a vet defensively. And Rizzo's a great defensive first baseman too. But Rivas, the 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 margin of value between Rivas and Rizzo, it's uncertain, but there is a realistic discussion that it might be pretty might be pretty close. And if that's the case, then when we talk about matchups and the DH and everything, from a projection standpoint, you have Rizzo 
by a lot of these different projection systems between a 340 to 350 weighted on base average. That's not, I mean, that's good. That's well above league average. It might be worth the money. Then you look at Schwindel, he's around like a 330-ish weighted on base average. So about 20, 30, 40 point difference if you look at the range. Rivas, at least according to Steamer, the projection system Steamer, he's almost at a 320 projected weighted on base average. Then you factor in the defense, you take that type of number and you assume selective matchups that are conducive to him being successful, then I do start to wonder, okay, from like an actual baseball, take out the emotion, take out all of that. Does it make sense to use that 80 million to one absolutely bolster that rotation, bring in stability in the outfield in the form of offense and defense, because we don't really have much of either in the outfield right now. And then finally, we did hear Jed before the lockout and a little bit after the lockout say that prioritizing or or strongly considering bringing in relievers from the free agent market is real. And so I'm thinking, okay, to your point about prioritizing Rizzo and maybe not making them a priority, to me, I think that kind of makes the most sense at this point. And let's say you can't get those free Asian outfielders. Let's say that you can't get the starting pitching that you want. If you even want more starting pitching, let's say you just can't get what you want. Then Rizzo coming back is an obvious improvement to your win projection. It's an obvious improvement to your gauge revenue and your overall perception and PR perception of this team that should bring in more money. So I think I think it makes sense. I think also we have to consider the alternatives in the form of Rivas and and Schwindel and Hap and Wisdom at first base. But my confidence in Rizzo versus those four guys I just mentioned. It's kind of shaky right now because you can see going without Rizzo being kind of a volatile situation. And if you bring in Rizzo from day one, yes, you do have those injury concerns, but the volatility of that projection is just less severe because you've seen what he's done. He has a huge track record and still he was making contact and hitting the ball gap to gap. So if they sign him and they make him a priority, I'm into it. I still hope, my hope is they strongly consider improving the team in other areas. But if ultimately they come to the decision that for them to be their best team, Rizzo is a priority, then I will be behind that as well, Corey. Yeah, I, I, there, there's also the kind of other side that like, and I, you know, I look, it, it was, it was half a season and there's, well, you want you want to see Schwindel well, play more? Well, I guess I'm just asking if it. I, again, I I'm fine with the Anthony idea. I I think. I mean, you're da- you're dancing on this well, topic. I like you want to see. No, Schwindel I guess play. I'm just asking if after what he did in that second half, like what the feeling would be to kind of not just let him get the shot, right? From the feeling from whom? Everybody, you, from, me, the, from, from, the players—I don't know. Well, we don't matter. We don't matter. Oh, like, are you matter. saying like, will, will, <laughs> will that? Like, are you saying will that offend Frank? Will that offend like the coaching staff? Like, is that going to cause? I, damage? I, I is don't. I don't mean? know. I'm. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. Like, the guy put up a, yeah. a 152 WRC plus in about 260 plate appearances and was borderline like one of the only interesting things going on on the entire team in the second half. Like, obviously, he would have a role with the DH and, you know, at, at his age and, and with some of the 
even though it's it's minor, like the back stuff, like, you know, Rizzo doesn't have to play first base in this scenario 150 times, right? But I don't know. I'm just sort of wondering aloud, like, you know, it, it maybe, maybe it. is there an opportunity cost to not seeing if Frank can do it again or what happens if you actually give him the opportunity? I, maybe that's well, what I'm asking. Well, I think that has to be factored in as well, right? That's where the projections come in. I think with Frank's situation specifically compared to Wisdom, there is a higher degree of confidence in knowing what you have with Frank because that's driven by heavy contact. With Wisdom, most guys with that type of whiff portfolio, they don't age well and they're more difficult to project. But with guys like Wisdom's profile, you have very respected like statisticians and scouts hinting that Schwindel's value, while it might not be a 400 Woba, it actually might be around like a 340 to 350. And so from your perspective, what you're talking about is, do you want to bring back Rizzo and risk the possibility of Frank reaching that realistic outcome? I think that's that's part of the yeah, scenario. Like you, you've got Frank who, you know, you're not paying a lot of money. It's like a, a, a drop in the bucket in terms of what your payroll is. And maybe, just maybe, you've unearthed something that is really productive and you've got holes elsewhere, right? Really, I think yeah. what it, it I think that's a concern. And again, it comes down to like what what portion of the budget would this be eating up, right? Because you need to deal with shortstop at in one direction or another. Your outfield is just extraordinarily volatile, as we've discussed. You know, you you just have these other, you, you know, you probably still could afford to add another starter to the rotation, even though maybe they're not going to. You, I don't think you mentioned the to. bullpen, yeah. like just wanting to strengthen the pitching staff, right, and maybe like kind of close close some of those those margins for error. So yeah, I, these these are all just questions. And again, this is hypothetical, just something Bruce Levine said. I don't know, you know, how much. Uh, fire there is behind this smoke we won't know until they actually relaunch free agency which if you go back to the beginning of this episode we don't know when that's going to be and the confidence isn't super high that it's soon so but you know i think these are all relevant questions like i i do i do i I, I am i i love anthony rizzo the minute these reports came out i was tweeting about it talking about how electric it would be at Wrigley Field, right? Like as it's it's February, it's like 30 degrees in Chicago, but if you can transport yourself to a 75 degree day against the Cardinals on a Saturday at Wrigley Field and intoxicated is playing over <laughs> the the speakers and everything just sort of feels right in the world again. Like it's electric, right? Yeah, you know, and it and that's is. not even talking about like his first at bat back, the spring, if they have spring training when he shows up, like this is all, it's easy to sort of slip into how nice that feels, right? But like, I I, I do, I do think that, you know, there is at least a, a, a sort of consideration of, well, you know, are you, are you, are you giving Frank the opportunity to see if that was real, Right. And he could do it at DH. Rizzo's a better defender. Maybe that's a great combination, right? But I don't know. And, you know, you don't know how that would, would play out. And as we've talked about, if, if you're doing that in order to see what you've got in Frank at the plate at that point at the DH position, then you're kind of removing the flexibility that we've talked about, 
right, in terms of Wilson, in terms of Nick Madrigal, whatever Nico Horner's doing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's complicated, but I'm into it in a, in a general sense, I think. Yeah. Well, so Jed Hoyer did say, you know, about a month, month and a half ago, quote, I'm excited Schwindel's on our team for next year, and I think he will be playing a big role. And He quote. says that about everybody, so, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So you can interpret what very noncommittal, but you can interpret what big role means, maybe take it at face value, maybe don't, whatever. But <laughs> I guess if you want to take it at face value, then if we were to sign Rizzo, then for me, a big role is like 450 plus plate appearances. And if they do sign Rizzo, I can see that happening. I can see Frank getting all those plate appearances, both in the form of DH going to first base. I I doubt it happens, but if they're that desperate, put him in the corner off, put him in left field, see what he's got. I'm telling you, if they're desperate, I'm. I, I think that's. Like I, a I am not signing up for that. I don't think. But I'm just saying, if he's going out you're there, you're throwing and out like some weird stuff. Frank Schwindel's playing the outfield. Ian Happ's playing first base. You're all over the place. There's no baseball right now, Corey. Yeah, I, what no, I like about? it. You're turning everybody into out. Ben Zobrist. You know, we are. Why not? Don't come man? to Chicago unless you can. You have eight gloves in your bag and can play every position on the field. You know we're not. You know what we're not talking about. We're talking. We're not talking about Chris Bryant right now. Like he fixes everything. Uh, hey, I said he that at the beginning of the conversation that if we're reuniting with people, he would be my pick. God, man, if he comes back, that would fix so you many. You know holes. what he, he can also base, do. In outfield. addition to playing third base in the outfield, he can spell Frank at first base. Exactly. So I like. Let's just let's. How about how about we just bring Chris <laughs> Bryant back on on a two year twenty million dollar deal? How about we just do that? Rework the conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, maybe, enough maybe, about uh, Anthony. We've made a different yeah. call for for a reunion. Yeah. No, but I, I listen. Like I, I think it's fair to consider Rizzo, and I, I think you can sell me on both the emotional side, of course, and the actual baseball improvement side. Even if they do end up prioritizing them, I do think there is a realistic conversation to be had that as a priority, he makes sense. You reduce the volatility and the variance in your projection without question. There's zero debate about that. Rizzo's on this team. Your wins go up. Your 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 variance in those projections becomes smaller. You become a better team. So because of that, I do think like, yeah, like if it's a priority, so be it. I'm fine with that. Yeah, so that's... Uh... Interesting. I think, you know, one thing to keep an eye on with as it relates to Rizzo and a, a good portion of, of the market potentially is what happens with Freddie Freeman. If you're looking for kind of something to to pay attention to outside of the Cubs immediate Let's sign Freddie Freeman. Well, they, they could do that. I'm I'm very into that. He's great. But I don't think that's something they're gonna look at. But if you're if you're, you know, aside from Correa and some of the names that have actually been connected to the Cubs, Freddie Freeman seems like a good place to uh, add at least some of your attention because if he signs somewhere that isn't Atlanta, I think that has some ramifications as it relates to the Cubs. Just, you know, looking at, um, was reading on Bleacher Nation earlier, like if if the Yankees were one of the teams on Correa and Freddie Freeman ends up going there, which there has been some smoke there about discussions about that, obviously maybe that takes the Yankees out 
on Correa, shortens his market, only gives him a few options. Maybe Jed then is sort of swooping in on kind of the deals that are more convenient for him. And Freddie's the premier first baseman. So if he goes somewhere, Anthony is then not in consideration there, but might be in consideration for somewhere that Freddie has left vacant, right? Like Atlanta or other teams that maybe are interested in Rizzo's services. So just another name to kind of uh, keep in mind that I I don't think there's any chance the Cubs are in on, but maybe kind of a little, I don't know, like a litmus test type deal for what this market looks like and, and who is going to be the big players in the, you know, the free agents that the Cubs are hoping to look at and hoping the market bottoms out for, right? Yeah, I if the Cubs sign Freddie Freeman, I'll be genuinely shocked. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're looking at a deal from Rizzo's camp, Freeman sets the market, right? So kind of how we've seen in the years past, where you're waiting for one domino to fall, that, that Freeman domino, if you will, would have to fall pretty fast if the Cubs want to consider Rizzo seriously because if Freeman is going to be waiting to sign like kind of late in this short and free agent period then the Cubs have to make their moves because they have so many other holes to fill in the outfield and potentially the bullpen you know maybe they want to bolster the infield and shortstop that because of the timing it just may not work for Rizzo and the Cubs because they do have to fill those other those other holes. That's pretty much what we've got. So you can keep, uh, you know, again, I, I, I would encourage you to follow, uh, you know, some of the guys covering the minor leagues. They've, they've got eyes on those camps and, and just the stuff because that, that actually is still going on. So if you're if you're fiending for baseball, there there is some stuff. The Cubs have been climbing up some of those prospect lists on, you know, ESPN, baseball perspective, stuff like that. So if you're, if you're looking to have some optimism, uh, as we alluded to last week, in terms of the Cubs system and where they're ranking and, and, and those types of things that is out there. And other than that, we will, you know, again, see what Thursday brings, see what all of these separate meetings that are going on bring. And hopefully, uh, the, the hope is still at this point that at some point we have to break in and announce that the season's on, stuff's going on, and it's, it's, a, it's an emergency podcast that I think we're all looking forward to at this point. Uh, but if not, we will talk to you guys next week, and I will start the podcast exactly the same as I have uh, for the last few months here, which is, uh, hey, Brendan, guess what? We're still in a lockout. So hopefully between now and then something changes that, but otherwise we will uh, keep getting you ready for a baseball season that we do not know when it is going to come, but we will do our best in that regard. So as always, uh, thank you for supporting the Cubs Related Podcast in the middle of a lockout, and we will talk to you guys next week. As always, go Cubs. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.